I love coming to the table, and I'm guessing you do too when it comes to coming to the Lord's table, and uh, what a great word that Heather shared with us that we need to be constantly reminded of this moment, and we're actually going to talk about that a little bit today in our series, and if you have not been with us, we're in the midst of a series that we've called Redefine, and today is part six of that. Last week, we talked about being an awakened people. We talked about regret. We talked about the godly sorrow that we should experience. I mean, when we do what is wrong, when we walk in a way that is displeasing to God, there should be a sorrow that's created in our lives. And as believers, we ought to welcome that because the Lord disciplines those he loves. So if we're not being disciplined by the Lord, then we are not um, in his kingdom. We're not a part of who he is. And so um, regret, even though it can be something bad, is something that we should learn from, we should welcome. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about last week is the idea of being teachable. And I would guess that most of us would say we are teachable. And the truth is that we're not all teachable or we're teachable to varying extents. Um, one of the things that a leader that I love and listen to often challenges me and challenges those he teaches regularly is, can you learn from everyone? If you really want to be a teachable person, then you could learn something from everyone. Now, I know immediately our mind goes to the most extreme Hitler type of person and, well, can I learn from this person? Uh, that would be a sign that we could grow in our teachability. Um, being able to learn from people that we look down on, people that we think um, aren't as put together as us or don't have as much information as us. And uh, that's the, the level of teachability that I want to grow to, and I, I hope it is for you too. And so last week as we talked about Learning to take responsibility for our actions. It's easy for us to blame others, um, but we, we want to take the mistake that we've made, whether an action or inaction, use that regret to lead us to repentance or to change, and then ultimately to experience the victory that Christ has for us. Now today, in chapter 6, we're going to talk about offense, being offended. Um, and today we've titled this, A Blessed People. And right from the get-go, I'll tell you, the reason we're a blessed people is because of what we just talked about. Um, because of the cross, you and I are a blessed people. Because Jesus came as the penalty for our sin. Because God did not count our sin against us. Because when, when, when we were his enemies, he died for us. That gives us the opportunity to be a blessed people. Now, being a blessed people doesn't mean that we are automatically going to handle the difficult moments of our life or the opportunities for offense well. And so that's kind of what we want to talk through today. Um, interestingly, one of the best books I've ever read on being or dealing with offense is called The Bait of Satan, and it's by John Bevere, who's Arden's dad. And so Arden is the author of the Redefined book. But in it, John talks about the bait of Satan. Um, the scandalon is the Greek word, and the, the opportunity that we have for offense. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard the saying about bitterness, but bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. In essence, that's what's happening. When we allow offense into our heart, it's actually killing us, um, all the while we're holding it against someone else. And so, this is an interesting topic and uh, a hard one for us sometimes to understand. And before we dive into it, I want to talk a little bit about our series from last year. Last year, we spent the entire year doing a series called Trust the Story. And Trust the Story was about understanding the, the Bible as it was written, but understanding the Bible as a complete book. It is a book describing God's revelation of who He is and His plan for His creation, the earth, and how it operates. We can look at the Bible that way, or we can look at the Bible as, um, you know, just a collection of good things, a collection of stories, a collection of um, wise sayings, a collection of truths that we should put into practice. 
but I think there's a danger of that. And so when we went through Trust the Story, that was not just like a, an intellectual classroom for people who, you know, like that sort of thing, like scholarly works. It's because if we do not understand the Bible as a fundamental um, story, all tied together, it is going to lead us into problems. The people of Israel, let's, just, let's start here. Okay, so the Bible is a story of two kingdoms from beginning to end. So there's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of the world. And how we define those two is going to be determined by how we view the Scripture or how we view God. The kingdom of God referred to in the scripture as a kingdom of shalom or a kingdom of peace. There's the kingdom of the world or a kingdom of empire or a kingdom of fear, force, manipulation. That's the kingdom of the world. God in his kingdom wants us as his people to be led by his voice. God wants to speak and he wants us to respond. The kingdom of empire or the kingdom of the world does not use voice. It uses, I mean, it tries to use voice, but it ultimately uses the stick. It uses force. There is a consequence when you do not follow what you're supposed to follow. Now, I know that we look at the kingdom of God and we're like, well, yeah, but there's a consequence. If we don't follow God, there's help. The kingdom of heaven is now. And God does not want to punish us into his kingdom. He wants us as a people to learn to hear his voice and respond to him without the fear of consequence. He says, he uses the kingdom of the world. Don't think that God thinks kingdom of the world is bad. In his word, he actually says he's given us the kingdom of empire as a gift. So he has put a stick in the hand of our leaders to punish wrongdoers. So that's actually a blessing from God. So we submit ourselves to these earthly kingdoms, but we don't just live in that kingdom. We don't just do what we're required to do uh, or just the minimum because we live in a different kingdom. We don't live according to the kingdom of this world. We live according to the kingdom of God. When the people of God got this wrong, they, they went into captivity. When they came out of captivity... They decide, They determined in their hearts that they were not going to go back into captivity. They were going to pay attention to the word of God that they had had. And so they started to diligently study the scripture because they wanted to follow it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were established, the synagogues and the teachers of the law, all of that was established right after the, the Babylonian captivity because the people of God wanted to know the word and they wanted to follow it. Unfortunately, they also treated the Bible as a collection of sayings and not as a kingdom. And so the Pharisees, by the time Jesus comes on the earth, Jesus says to them, you neglect the weightier matters of the, the Torah, not the law, the Torah, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Num so not just what the Ten Commandments, but even the stories of Genesis, you neglect the weightier matters. What are the weightier matters? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I mean, you're tithing, you're doing, you're adding all of these things to your life, but you're not, you're not living according to the kingdom of heaven, the foundational truths of the kingdom of heaven, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. If you think of it as a computer, think of your salvation as a computer. Some of us see Christianity as when we become a Christian, our computer we're going to run a virus scan because we want to get the viruses out. And some of us even will, will need to maybe even wipe our hard drive and maybe kind of start over and rebuild. And we'll add certain programs or we'll take away certain programs. And some of us, that's how we view salvation, transactional. But the Bible doesn't view salvation as just changing uh, or removing viruses or adding certain programs. It's a complete overhaul of the operating system. The kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven are two different platforms. Think of it as a PC and a Mac. They're not the same. And I'm not going to tell you which one is the kingdom of God in the analogy, but we all know. <laughs> it doesn't matter, okay? Because it's your preference to like what you want. But 
you understand you can't run the same programs on either software, either, either operating system. It's a completely different system. And far too many of us try to bring Christianity into whatever operating system the world is, and it doesn't work. I mean, yeah, we add some morality, we add some things, but there's, we've got to see, and this is so important even when it comes to dealing with offense, because we have to see it from a totally different perspective. Because if we don't, we are going to take the bait and we're going to fall prey to this offense cycle. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't misunderstand that. Don't think that Adam and Eve did not have the knowledge of good and evil. They did. I mean, if they didn't have a knowledge of good and evil, they were naive and they didn't understand that eating the tree was evil. What they had was God's voice. And God wanted them to choose what he said was right. But as we know, they determined to do what was right in their own eye. And they chose a different operating system. They no longer lived according to the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to live according to the kingdom of this world. So they ate of that tree, and as a result, they brought all of creation into this operating system. But praise God, Jesus came, Colossians tells us, to, to dismantle, to destroy the principalities. And you know how he did it? Not with a stick, not with the kingdom of empire, but the way the kingdom of heaven operates and destroys its enemies is through laying down its life. That's why the cross destroyed the principalities and the powers of this earth. See, the kingdom of earth was eat this fruit and you will be like God. Do this thing and you will get this. And the kingdom of God is like, no, avoid that and choose to lay down your life. Choose my way. Hear my voice. Respond to me. See how these kingdoms diverge. And so when we, when we accept the sacrifice Christ made on our behalf, Colossians goes on to tell us, we are brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that God loves. The problem is, just like the Pharisees, we can treat the Word of God as just rules to be followed, and we can start doing the, the rules the way we determine the rules should be done, and when somebody doesn't do the rules the way we determine they, they should be done, then we look down on them, or then we punish them. We get outside of the kingdom of heaven. And so what happens with the Pharisees is they started out really good, but then they actually became angry towards, disdainful towards, and even disgusted by Gentiles. And yet the Torah actually says you're to be a light for the Gentiles. How did they get it so wrong? Well, in some ways, the exact same way that many of us get it wrong. We try to live according to the kingdom of the world by just adding moral principles when all along we've been called, as Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, totally new operating system, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is good, well-pleasing, and the perfect will of God. We've got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Not just the renewing of our actions. Now, our actions will change as our minds are renewed. But if we, all we focus on is changing our actions, we're, our minds won't be renewed and we'll be operating under this operating system over here. And some of the most miserable people on the planet are these types of Christians. The people that are trying to just add morality to the old operating system, not letting their minds be renewed, not being transformed from the inside out. And so then they become angry towards the very people we're trying to reach. And that's why we allow offense into our hearts towards our spouses, towards our parents, towards our kids, towards our boss, towards authority, towards our friends, towards our coworkers towards people we don't even know. That's the cycle of offense. This kingdom of God requires a totally different 
operating system. Did I put Romans 12.21 up there with that one? Okay. It might be later in the message, so I'll just keep going. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Though we live in the world, look at this. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Remember, different kingdom, different operating system, different weapons. On the contrary, though, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. Think about that. We demolish arguments. And how often do we try to actually use arguments to win? I know that humbling ourselves, giving mercy, looks like it's not going to work. But according to the kingdom of God, it actually demolishes strongholds. Now, you might be able to argue, raise your voice, use the stick, and you might, out of fear, get your kids or your spouse or someone to submit to you, and you might win the short-term battle, but you will not capture the heart. Because we ha- to capture hearts, we have to use divine weapons with divine power, and they don't always work as quickly as kingdom of the world weapons. Kingdom of the world weapons work quickly. They can change situations like that. But if we want to play the kingdom game, the kingdom long game, we have to choose the right weapons. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, When the time that was set by God had fully come, God sent His Son. I don't know if we talked about this with Trust the Story. What made the time that Jesus came on earth the right time for the Son to come? I mean, why didn't he come when Solomon was on the earth and the kingdom of Israel was like the, like the known world? I mean, they were like the best kingdom. Impressive to the Queen of Sheba, impressive to all the nations around them, greatest borders they've ever had, wealthiest nation. I mean, why wasn't that the right time for the Messiah to come? I mean, Jesus came at a time when they were under Roman occupation, under the kingdom of empire, and Jesus showed us how to live during that time. Jesus surrounded himself with people of differing viewpoints, differing worldviews, differing perspectives, teaching us how to engage the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdom of empire. If Jesus were alive today, the people that he chose back then, this is who he would have chose. He would have chose a Democrat. He would have chose a Republican. He would have chose a Libertarian. He would have chosen an Independent. He would have chosen a Tea Party member. You're saying, well, he wouldn't have chose all those. Yes, he did. He chose tax collectors. He chose Herodians, people of compromise. He chose zealots, people that thought that they needed to overthrow Rome. He chose all of them, brought them into his inner circle around the table, and all of the people around him continued to ask him questions. Every time Jesus was asked a question and the scripture says they tried to trap him, it's because they wanted Jesus to weigh in on the worldviews of their day. They were arguing about which is the right worldview. And the disciples did it all the time. They constantly argued about who was right, who was the greatest. And Jesus kept telling them, you're thinking kingdom of the world. I've come for kingdom of heaven. You want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be least in the eyes of the world. It took them a long time to get that. In fact, it wasn't until after his death, resurrection, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then several years where they really started to understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about kingdom of heaven. So Jesus refused to answer their questions. In fact, he usually offered another question that introduced the kingdom of heaven into the argument. And people didn't know what to do with that. In fact, there was a time that, if you remember, Jesus was asked if, or why he wasn't paying the temple tax. And he asked Peter, remember the, the conversation, Peter, is, is the son exempt from the temple tax? Well, yeah, the son would be exempt from the temple tax, stating that Jesus was exempt from the temple tax. But do you know what he did? He said, Peter, you go catch a fish, pay the temple tax for us, lest we offend them. So he submitted himself to a rule that wasn't even a rule that he needed to follow, lest he offend them. Interesting. This idea of offense. And as Arden tells us in this chapter, we, whether you agree with him or not, he makes the statement, we have become the most offended generation of all time. 
we are quick to be offended and slow to forgive. And as a result, many of us are drinking the poison, waiting for our enemies to die. And we don't realize all the time that it's actually sapping our spiritual strength and vitality. It's keeping us from living in victory. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, Solomon writes and says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. See, a grudge or an offense is one of the hardest things for us to be able to overcome. But in the kingdom of God, we've been taught to fight for us, even when we disagree with someone on any other issue, any kingdom of the world issue. When it comes to those things, we fight for us. Unfortunately, the quick-to-be-offended culture is not just a part of the world, it's in the church. All of us, I'm sure, have a story of someone who has left the church or someone who's upset with someone in the church because of something someone said or someone did. And of course, from our perspective, it's always the other person's fault. But in reality, it's rarely ever just one person's fault. And we're going to talk about how that is as we go through it. So God's calling us to live in this operating system of Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. Not peacekeepers. You know what peacekeepers do? Peacekeepers just, they don't stand up for anything. They don't say anything. They don't do anything. They just try to keep the peace. But all of the while, there's all kinds of stuff going on in here. And if we try to be a peacekeeper, sooner or later, not dealing with what's happening in here, not having the conversation that we're supposed to have, not saying the thing that we're supposed to say. And remember, like we learned last week, the right way, the right time, the right method, the right motive, all of that. If we don't deal with that stuff, it actually leads us to take offense and that bitter root, Scripture says, doesn't just ruin us. It springs up and it defiles many. It defiles people around us. Being a peacemaker or walking in the way that makes for peace leads us to be called sons of God. Because that's what God did. It also requires that we walk in humility. It requires a strength of character. It requires self-control. And it really requires patience because being a peacemaker doesn't happen the first conversation all the time. And sometimes it makes situations worse before it makes situations better. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians church, with all humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the chapter, Arden brings out two different sections that I'd encourage you to read. We're not going to take a lot of time on them, but he talks about the power of forgiveness. Um, there is power, there is blessing when we choose to forgive. And forgiveness is about choosing to release the offender. It has nothing to do with our emotions or our feelings. It's a choice. It's a declaration. It's a continuous battle. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean the, the pain, the experience, the emotion goes away. It just means you refuse to continue to dwell on it and to, to get retribution for what's been done to you. You release it to God. You release it even to the authority structure of our world to be able to handle it. Now, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that you already reconcile to that person. Sometimes there are steps that need to be taken for trust to be rebuilt. Um, and I, we're going to talk about all of this in just a second with the pretty little chart I put in your hands. And so there's a process of reconciliation that comes with forgiveness, but forgiveness is a choice. Now, when you for choose to forgive someone and then tomorrow you wake up and you have these negative emotions, you choose to forgive again. 
you choose to keep saying, no, I've put that, I'm not picking this back up today. I'm not going to continue to rehash that. I'm not going to slander that person to this person that I'm standing in front of now and just spill my guts about it again and again and again and again. I've chosen to forgive. And that's the choice that we make. He also talks about the, the power of submission. Um, again, great section of the book. Submitting and honoring authority opens us up to the blessing of God on our lives. This is what Scripture teaches. Honoring authority has more to do with our attitude than it does our actions. Honoring authority is about the Scripture that says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. That's the kingdom of God. See, I can do what you've asked me to do and grumble under my breath for, for why I'm, the whole time I'm doing it. And it looks like I'm conforming, but it's a different operating system. And all of that inside eventually is going to find an outlet. I don't want to just do the right thing. I want to do the right thing the right way for the right reasons. All of those things in my heart. So I'm going to do this without grumbling and complaining. Now, the scripture is clear. We talk about this all the time. If authorities ask us to sin to go against the word of God, then we have no recourse as believers, as, as we've seen in every story that's in the scripture, to disobey, but never to dishonor, never to speak with disdain. Even Nebuchadnezzar, when he was about to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, they referred to him as your majesty twice, twice. That's kingdom of heaven. I'm going to disobey you because it's against the word of God, not just against my opinion or perspective or kingdom of the world viewpoint, but against the kingdom of God. Because you're asking me to violate kingdom of God truth, I can't do it, but I'm going to still honor you in the process because that's kingdom of God. And if you kill me, I at least want you to be impacted by my behavior because I'm going to a better place. And you will not if you don't repent. And I'm concerned about your soul even as you take my life. That's kingdom of God. And some of us are like, whoa, maybe I didn't count the cost before I signed up for this kingdom. No, many of us didn't. We said a prayer. We invited Jesus to take away our sins. But we've been kind of sugarcoated the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is lay your life down. And that's what we've been called into. That's why we need to be redefined. There is so much at stake in our world today because our calling as sons and daughters of God are it's about being peacemakers. And the only way we can do it is being honest with ourselves. At the end of every chapter, Arden gives us a quote. And here's the quote from this week. We are a blessed people, not an offended people. We know how to forgive and show grace, how to love unconditionally and show mercy always. Now, again, we're a blessed people because of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy. This is what Heather was talking about. You and I, every time we take communion, this is a reminder to us that I have never and will never be able to live up to the standard of God's kingdom. Ever. Ever. And it's His mercy. And sometimes we forget that because we start following Him, we start putting it into practice, and much like the Pharisees, we actually start thinking we're doing pretty good. Now, we could be progressing in discipleship. I'm not saying walk around in sackcloth and ashes every day, but we we have to recognize that the only reason I'm in the position I'm in is God's mercy, not my behavior. And if I keep that in perspective, I will always remember that there is no human being on this earth that needs God's mercy, mercy more than me. Because we tend to look at other people and look down on them because of the way they're behaving or the way they're acting or the way they're not doing something. And we forget that they, I am just as guilty without God's mercy and grace. And that's why it's important as a blessed people to keep that in perspective. So we start there and we're choosing not to be an offended people because Romans 1.20 or 12.21, don't be overcome by evil overcome evil 
with good. That's that divine mercy. Jesus tells us a story in Matthew chapter 18. And it's a story about a servant who owed about a million dollars. And he was unable to pay back the debt, so he asked for mercy. And the master gave him mercy, said, your debt is forgiven. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, stimulus checks are coming, however you feel about them. There they are. They're coming this week, maybe. And uh, praise God, free money, sort of. No such thing as free money. So um, coming that we're going to have to pay for later. But uh, I should stop talking now. Uh, but anyway, the checks are coming. And so I don't know, $1,400, that's a lot of money. But how about a million dollar stimulus in everyone's account? Okay, a million dollars is a game changer, right? So if you owe someone a million dollars and they totally forgive it, wow. I mean, that's a debt. But the servant goes out and finds someone who owes him 10 grand. Now, 10 grand in my world is still a lot of money. So I need that 10 grand. And look at, he, he doesn't forgive the debt, he puts him into prison. And now look at the response. Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Then his Lord called to him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, even as I had mercy? See, $10,000 is a big debt, but compared to a million, it's not. And if we don't keep God's mercy in view... When people wrong us, we'll tend to think that their wrong is far worse than any wrong I've done. And I'm just going to hold that against them until they pay it back. And hold that against them, maybe I just never speak to them again. Or I'm just not, I'm going to tell other people about them. Look at what he goes on to say. His Lord was angry. And delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay everything that was due him. And this is how my heavenly father will treat you if you do not forgive each other from the heart. Why is that? Because our earthly relationships are forever tied to our relationship with our heavenly father. If you and I are not merciful towards others, it shows we have not understood the mercy we ourselves have received from God. Not my words, his words. If we treat others unmercifully, we do not understand the mercy we have been given. And if we do this, if we live this way, the end of that road is death. And I'm not talking about you won't go to heaven, death. I mean sickness, disease, anger, and frustration poisons our bodies. And so many of us as Christians... We're, we're, oh man, I've got so many problems in my digestive system. I've got so many problems in my physical body. And sometimes it's just all the resentment that we're holding in. There's a reason James says, confess your sins to each other so that you can be healed. Now, I'm not saying every physical symptom is a result of it. But stress, scientifically proven, causes problems in our bodies. Bitterness and anger cause problems in our bodies. If we want to live free, then we have to love and give mercy the same way we've received it. Twice in the New Testament, the whole law is summed up this way. Galatians 5.14. The whole law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That word love is not have warm, gushy feelings towards your neighbor. It's, a, it's an action word. Act in the best interest of your neighbor. So be merciful as to your neighbor falls into the category of love. Be gracious to your neighbor is love. Everything God is, because God is love. So every way God has treated you is how we should treat our neighbor. And if we want to eliminate someone from the neighbor category, be careful, because someone tried to do that with Jesus, and he made the Samaritan, the evil, wicked Samaritan, the moral of the story. So be careful. James chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, now, you have a little chart in front of you that looks like this. It's really pretty, and I, I gave it to you for a reason, because I want to, just for a few moments, help us see this as a picture. In Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus pulls his disciples to him, and he says this, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Only time Jesus says something is impossible. 
It's impossible for you to live your life and not have an opportunity to be offended with someone. So, just saying right now, today you will have an opportunity to be offended with someone. I don't know who. Probably several someones. And this week, it's going to be relentless because we live in a very offensive culture right now. So the opportunity for offense is coming. And if we are going to be peacemakers, we have to learn some principles that are going to help us. And so this little chart in the middle of this slippery slope are the peacemaking responses. And we're going to talk about those in just a moment. But we're going to go first to the left side. So something happens and you have an opportunity to be offended. Something happens, somebody says something. And so your first reaction, if you're going to escape or be what we would call a peace faker, <laughs> peace faker, not my words, okay? Ken Sandy is the one that put this together. He's the founder of Relational Wisdom 360. Okay, peace fakers deny it that the problem even exists. Now, if you notice, right beside that in the, the peacemaking responses is the, the word overlook. We're going to talk in just a second about what it is to overlook a wrong, okay? And sometimes as Christians, we can, we can think we're overlooking, but we're really living in denial. And how do I know whether I'm overlooking or living in denial? Okay, well, which, which path are you on? Because if you're overlooking, then your relationship with that person is going towards reconciliation. But if you're in denial, then you're moving towards flight or withdrawal. So are you moving away from or towards? That will tell you whether you're overlooking or denying. There are oftentimes people say, I'm just putting it behind me, just putting it behind me. But saying those words does not make it true. If you're not going towards that person, towards reconciliation, that process, you're fooling yourself and you're living in denial. And denial will lead you to flight. It'll lead you to pull away or withdraw from a relationship. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 22, this is a powerful verse. Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. In other words, he just avoided him. He didn't say anything good. He didn't say anything bad. For Absalom hated Amnon. Most of us would think it's not wrong to not say anything good or bad. I mean, my mom always said, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. No, find something good to say, is what mom should have said. <laughs> God loves mom. Mom, if you're listening, I love you. You did great. But find something good. Withdrawal could be quitting a job. It could be filing for divorce. It could be changing circumstances. It could be ending a friendship or a relationship. And under extreme circumstances, flight might be the right choice. But in most cases, it never deals with the real issue. And what happens is we start losing hope. We slip into hopelessness, and that's why at the end of this slippery slope is the word suicide. Because when you get to the place where there's just no hope, you have nothing left but to take your own life. Now, there's a lot of believers that live in a state of hopelessness that would never take their own life out of fear that, you know, God would send them to hell if they took their own life. They would if they could or if they had the courage to. They're in such a state of hopelessness and despair because sometimes of the offense that's just bred in their hearts over and over and over. So if you're in this place where everything you see in our society today is you're just... Man, it's time to reverse that course. And the way to reverse it is to, to repent. Like we talked about last week, regret, sorrow, repentance. God, I need to come back up onto this slippery slope. Now move to the, the right side. The right side is the attack responses. And this is um, the peace breaking. If you're, you know, wanting to stay with peacemaking, peace faking, peace breaking, the word assault is the first thing. And so assault is to use force or intimidation. And that can be verbally. It doesn't have to be physically. But it's done in a way to, to damage the other person's reputation or the other person's livelihood. And it's always justified to us. We are always justified attacking 
that other person. One of the reasons it's good to live in community is because we become so blind to our own, to our own part of the problem and we, we fixate on the other person. Remember when Jesus said, if you're going to correct your brother, make sure you're, you're dealing with the log in your own eye? We need community because we become blind to the logs in our own eye. And the reason we're put in community is so that we can make sure we don't slip into this attack mode. And then when we get into attack mode, we get into litigation, lawsuits. And again, a lawsuit might be something that's necessary. But according to the kingdom, Jesus taught us, you know, when you take another believer to court, the world looks at you ought to be able to settle this in your kingdom community. Because if you take them to court, you actually bring reproach on the kingdom of God. And then it leads to murder. When we harbor anger or contempt, um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to actively murder a person, but you become very passive towards people. No good, no bad, just going to withdraw, run away from it. Um, it can be passive-aggressive, a dangerous mixture of like assert, bam, Put that person down, talk about them. So if in your relationships, that's kind of where you're leaning, again, it's time for repent and come back up into the center of this slippery slope. So the peacemaking responses are this top part of the slippery slope. And on the left side, there's three bars. And then on the right side, there's three. And the ones on the left are personal. The ones on the right require accountability. Matthew chapter 18 tells us, one, when you have conflict with someone, try to deal with it personally. If you can't, then you use someone else. You help, someone else helps us, they assist us. That's the assisted side of this. So when you look on the other side, to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19.11 says, if you overlook an offense, it's actually glory. Glory. But if I'm going to overlook that person's offense, it cannot change the way I think about them, talk about them, or respond to them. If, I, if something is changing in the way I respond to them, in the way I treat them, then I am not overlooking, and I need to move into the next step of reconciliation. I need to move towards reconciliation. And that might mean I have to have a difficult conversation with someone that I don't want to have. People will tell me all the time, well, you know, I'm just going to deal with it on my own, me and the Lord, and uh, I, I'm not one to, to have those types of conversations. None of us are. Hello? Let me just let you in on a little secret. There's not a human being on this planet that enjoys these difficult conversations. So stop fooling yourself. Okay, even people that are your type A-driven leaders of the world do not like to have these conversations. They're demanding, they're hard, they require energy, and we don't like them. We all get sick in our stomach when we have to have them. But if we want to walk in relationship with each other, we have to be honest. I can't overlook this, I have to talk about it. But reconciliation, when we get to reconciliation, the goal is not to be right. The goal is to be reconciled to our brother and sister, to walk in relationship with them. And so when I talk to them about the way that their behavior or words have impacted my life, I have to own my emotions. Because here's the thing, you may have a thousand people in your life who you talk to that way, and a thousand people are okay with it. It doesn't bother them at all. But guess what? That hurts me. And I have to communicate to you, when you speak like that, it hurts me. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not what you're doing is wrong. It affects me negatively. Then you have to decide, do I want to be in a relationship with this person enough? Are they valuable enough to change my behavior so I don't cause them that pain? That's reconciliation. That's relationship. Now granted, you're not going to be able to do that with the cashier at Walmart. Okay, so if she offends you or he offends you, you might have to just find a way to overlook it and be a blessing to them and not have this conversation. But whether it's a family member, a co-worker, someone in the body of Christ, especially us as believers, we have to be willing to have these conversations. And then the idea of negotiation is what behavior needs to change. Sometimes I need to understand that you don't mean the harm by that. And so I have to start changing my perspective and how I'm hearing your words. 
But sometimes you're going to need to change the words you're saying. We're working together. We're negotiating a way that we can stay in relationship. And we're going to do it just you and me. We're not going to do it with ten other people. I'm not going to call six people and ask them their opinion about how they feel about this situation. Because it doesn't matter. It's not between me and six other people. It's between me and you. And this is the kingdom. This is how the kingdom operates. Now, sometimes we can't do it on our own. We need help. That's where the assistance comes in. When you need mediation, you don't pick your best friend. You don't go to someone and say, hey, I have this problem with someone. They are really mean when they talk to me. They say things like this. Can you believe that they talk to me that way? Would you come and talk to us and help us help them see that they're wrong? That's not mediation. (laughs) Mediation is someone you both trust to sit and listen to your conversation and help you together mediate, arbitrate, and be accountable to that situation. That's the process of conflict resolution. So you can, you can put that up on your fridge because you're going to need it because it's impossible that the opportunity to be offended aren't going to come. Actually, some of us <laughs> might need to put it right here on our computer screen for when we're on social media because that's where we're going to need it. Um, wherever you need it, put it up. Because we as a body do not want to be an offended people. We are a blessed people. We are not an offended people. We are going to learn how to show mercy. We are going to learn how to love unconditionally. We are going to learn how to have these tough conversations. We are going to value relationship above everything. I don't care if it takes till Jesus comes. It it will. But we're going to do it because we're going to get better and better every single day. And that's what it is to come to the table. Because when we come to the table, we're reminded that He has never once treated us as our sins deserve. He has always been merciful to us. He has always been gracious to us. And you and I need to do the same. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the way that you have treated us. God, when we look at your mercy, we are overwhelmed by the fact that what we deserved from you is literally the opposite of what you gave to us. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and modeling this for us, for bringing around yourself people of different perspectives, people of different viewpoints, people of different upbringings, people of different personality styles. God, for welcoming everyone. Thank you for even sitting at a table with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That even though you spoke hard words to them, you ate with them. You spoke with them. You wrestled with them. And you ultimately gave your life for them. You made a way for the Pharisees after the resurrection, many of them to come into the kingdom. You transformed this entire world by just being willing to lay your life down. Father, today we recognize that you've put that same call on our lives. And we recognize that there is a severe cost attached to that. But we know that you're good and everything that you do is good. And so we want to be a people that can form every part of our lives to your will. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so Holy Spirit, we need your help right now. If you're in this room and there are some things today that maybe resonated with you, some things that you need to deal with, some relationships maybe that you need to to speak into, maybe some perspective shifts that need to take place. I'm going to ask you, as we do every week, just put your hands out in front of you. And I want you right now with the Lord just to, to let Him know what you're putting in front of you right now. Maybe there's some things that you've held on to that you need to let go of. There's some offenses. There's some people that you're offended towards and you need to put them in front of you today. 
And you need to ask God for grace to overlook, to learn to overlook. Maybe you need to ask for grace to learn to be reconciled. I'm not going to sit here today and tell you that you can be reconciled to every human being. The scripture's clear that we should, as much as it depends upon us, live at peace with all men. Some people will not want to be reconciled. All we can do is follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, follow the Word of God, and seek reconciliation. We can't make people be reconciled to us. And you can't live in the guilt and the shame and the condemnation for people that won't be reconciled. So maybe there's some regret in your heart today because someone won't be reconciled to you and you need to put that in front of you. So I don't know what it is today, but I'm guessing that in a world where it's impossible to have the opportunity to be offended, that there's not something that we need to sit before our Heavenly Father and just be honest about. If it's nothing more than wanting to learn more and more how to be a peacemaker. And so, Father, we put all of this in front of us today. God, every root of bitterness that we've allowed into our hearts, every offense that we've held on to, God, for every idle word that has come out of our mouth, the slander, the gossip, God, the grumbling, the complaining, God, the hopelessness and despair that we have allowed ourselves to, to surround us just by our thought patterns, our words. God, we want to climb that slope today. We can't climb the slope. God, we need you to put us back on the top. So we just admit our mistakes. God, we come to you humbly and ask for grace. Give us the power be peacemakers in every relationship. God, even in the most difficult relationships of our lives, God, we want to put you on display. And so as a people, Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us. Show us how to put these words into practice, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor Tom, for that message. Uh, what a good one. I don't know if anybody else felt any conviction at all. Probably just me. <laughs> so much to strive for uh, in this week ahead. And praise God that we know he is here to help us. I can only speak for myself. I know I'm going to need a lot of help. Uh, one of the main takeaways today was if we're not extending mercy in a time of an of an offense, then maybe we don't fully understand the perfect mercy that God has given us. So I asked God in our moment, hey, can you help me ask you for help in those moments instead of keep going on? And so I would encourage you to talk about with your family, your personal takeaways, and uh, how we can apply them this week ahead. I would also like to remember, uh, excuse me, remind guests again, if you didn't get your guests, please stop at the welcome table for your gift as well as some information.